Proverbs 16.3. The verse we're going to read has been a great help to me. It's helped me to understand many, many things in scriptures. It's opened um, a lot of uh, closed doors to me in what the Bible teaches because of a preconceived notion that most of us have that really, ironically, is incorrect. So we'll see it uh, here. you got Proverbs 16.3. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Commit. It means literally to roll off. In other words, give God your works, and your thoughts will be established. If if a pastor and a brother Les, if they said, we're going to establish a new church in Dublin, if they were going to do that, <laughs> if they're going to establish a new church then you would take that to mean that they're forming a new church. The new church is formed and it's established. That's what this means. If you give God your works, your thoughts will be formed or established. Now, this flies in the face of conventional wisdom because of the order of it. Now, look at it. This really fascinates me. It says, do what's right and then think right. Now, you, you, would, you would think the Bible would say, think correctly in order to do correctly. Isn't that right? All right, but it doesn't. This is exactly the opposite. It says, do right in order to think right. Well, somebody says, what about the proverb that says, speaking of a rich man, uh, as he, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Well, it doesn't say, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he will become. It says it's what he is. As a man thinketh in his heart, that's what he is. So the order is, do right and then think right. In other words, if I will do what is right, it will cause me to think correctly. My brain will work correctly. Now, we're not talking about brilliance here. I'm not talking about whether or not you have an IQ of 160. Certainly I don't. So I'm not talking about, we're not talking about smarts, we're talking about correct thinking. Everybody thinks, and everybody thinks basically 24 hours a day. All of us think. So what the Bible is saying is, if you will do what's right, you will think correctly. Now, if this is true, and it is, it demands two things. It demands two things. If the Bible says to me, Bill, do right as a husband then I would have a question, wouldn't you? If the Bible said, do right as a deacon in your church, do right as a church member, do right as a son, do right as a father, then I would say, well, what's right, wouldn't you? Okay, it's fine. It's fine for me to say, I'm going to do right. But then the question's going to come, what's right? In other words, if you say to me, Bill, do what's right as a dad, I'd say, great, I'll I want to do what's right as a dad. What's right? Do what's right as a husband. Super. I want to do what's right as a husband. What's right? So this verse demands two things. Number one, it demands that somewhere there is a standard of right and wrong so that I can know what's right. When God says, Bill, do what's right, I can find out and therefore know what's right. So it demands that there's a standard. Okay, so what is the standard? The Bible. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. Bill, yes, sir. Do what's right as a husband. Okay, Lord, wait a minute. What's right? 
then you have God's standard, the Bible. Now, it demands a second thing. It demands not only that I have a standard, but it demands that I obey it. So that the idea is, when God says, Bill, do what's right as a church member, I say, great, I'm going to do what's right as a church member. Now, what is right, and God tells me what is right as a church member, and then I've got to obey it. Now, gentlemen, this is a help to me. Look, it is obedience that is the key, not brilliance. You don't have to be brilliant to be a godly man. That's not what's necessary. In other words, you say, you know, this guy went to Bible college and his dad was a Christian. He's abound, He's been around Christian thinking all of his life. And he just, he knows how to be a dad. He knows how to be a son. He knows how to be a church member. He knows how to be a deacon because he's been around it all of his life. And he's so brilliant. Have you ever been, have you ever been, um, you, you feel almost um, incapable because you're around a guy that knows the Bible so well, and you hear about his heritage and his family and his background and how long he's been in the church, and you say, shh, that's not me. Now, here, here's a great truth. I don't have to be brilliant to be godly. I have to be obedient. Amen. In fact, this is interesting. When it comes to salvation, the Bible does not say that a child needs to think like an adult in order to be saved. The Bible says an adult needs to think like a child in order to be saved. See, so the idea is submission. It's obedience. Uh, if I will obey, I can understand. If I don't obey, I can't understand. Turn back to Ephesians 6. Here's something we saw yesterday. At least we saw these verses. And, and look, look at Ephesians 6. First four verses. Okay, Ephesians 6, 1. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayst live long in the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, somebody says, all right, you, you, you need to tell your kids what to do and expect them to do right. So you tell me the question that comes from a child when you ask me to do something, how many of you have kids at home? You got kids at home. Okay. So you say to your son or your daughter, okay, go make up your bed. You got to make your bed. And they say to you, why? Why? Why do, I, why do I have to make up my bed? It doesn't make sense to me. It's never made sense to me. You get up in the morning. You make up your bed. You're going to be back in it in 12 hours. Why make the thing up? See? Okay. So the child says, why? And we say, you know, here's the trouble. The child doesn't understand. If only he understood, then he could make the bed. No, no. Understanding is not the key here. What is? Obedience. obedience. See, obedience. Somebody says, and by the way, this is categorically wrong. I just want to go on record as saying this. Somebody says, you know, there's a guy, and he's been in church all his life, and he made his kids go to church, and he told them what to do, and he made them do certain things. But here's the problem. He made him do stuff, but he never explained it. And so his children never understood why to go to church and why to dress right and why to have... They never understood. And so as a result, all of his children rejected the truth. Now, I'm just telling you that is categorically incorrect. Because understanding is not the key. The key is obedience. Understanding is not the key for you. 
The key is obedience. Okay, you say now, are you saying then that it's not important for somebody to understand? Of course it's important to understand. The question is, how can you? And the answer is obey. Now look back at Ephesians 6. The first two verses are directed to the children, first three actually, and children are uh, taught to obey. And remember we saw this yesterday. The reason they obey is because it is. Okay, now look down at verse 4 and tell me what dad does in verse 4. And ye fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Admonition means to admonish, to put into the mind of. Nurture means to discipline, to train, um, and so on, including um, all the things that might be used in discipline. So dad teaches the child in verse 4, but the child is commanded to obey in verse 1. So which comes first? Obedience or understanding? Obedience. obedience. Okay. Obedience comes first. Then a child can understand. But a rebel never understands anything. Let me give you an example. Uh, Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith. Excuse me. We're in Northern Ireland. Through faith. Through faith. Okay. We Tennesseans got it. All right. Okay. Okay, now look, look, look at this. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Okay. Through faith, a man understands that God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I don't know the names of the universities around here, but back back home, uh, there's, for example, Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, where I live, and there's University of Tennessee over in Knoxville. Now, there are many, many teachers in Knoxville and in Murfreesboro who are highly educated, who, if asked the question, from whence did we come, cannot answer it. Okay, I'm a Tennessean. You know, I just went to school and learned how to spell, not very well, how to write, not very well, how to read, kind of slowly. Okay, I, I just went to school in Tennessee. You say to me, Bill, let me ask you a question. Where did the world come from? That's easy. God made it. Okay, how is it that they struggle with this? Isn't it obvious that the world came by design? Bill, where'd you get your watch? Well, I went up to the mountain to see this, uh, the ocean this morning, and suddenly there was a great clap of thunder, and the thunder hit a rock, and the rock exploded. And out of the rock there came a wind, and in the wind and the explosion of the rock there were made cogs, and there were made little electronic parts, and suddenly they were melded together. And voila, I had a watch. Well, nobody would buy that. Okay, well, I said, well, there's a little difference. It didn't happen this morning. It took 56 billion years to make the watch. Nobody with a brain would believe that. No, nobody would, because it obviously takes design. In other words, you leave this pulpit here for 50 million years, and it will degenerate. It will not form into something. It will come apart. It won't come together. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. So you go to a man who's brilliant. He has a Ph.D. And you say to this man, and so, sir, tell me where we came from. And he will say, 
Well, we don't know for sure, but we think the Big Bang. No, all you've got to do, and I'm serious about this, all one has to do to tie brilliant people in knots is to ask the next question. So, where did the Earth come from? It came from the Big Bang. What's the next question? Where did the Big Bang come from? So, it came from gases in space. The next question. Okay, so see, it never ends. So that someplace there has to be an origin. Now, you would think anybody would know that, but the honest truth is most people don't. Okay. Now, somebody says, you know, that's the problem with the guys that are university professors. They're all stupid. <laughs> oh, they don't know anything. Tennesseans are smarter than the professors. No, they know a lot. Don't tell me that a man who spent 20 years of his life in school learning is stupid. He's not stupid. What is he? He's disobedient. He's not obedient. Are you following this? Okay. So since he doesn't obey, he doesn't understand. Let me give you a kid. You say, uh, you say to a four-year-old, don't play in the street. Why not, mommy? That's what he's going to ask. Well, you say, well, if, you know, in, in the street there are these vehicles, um, and they're all driving on the wrong side of the road, and they're coming down at uh, 100 kilometers per hour, unless the pastor or the less is driving, then it's about, it's about 150 kilometers per hour. Okay, so these, these vehicles are coming down. And if you play in the street, then you might be hit by one of the vehicles and it would, it would hurt. So we don't want you. And, and the four-year-old says, Oh, Mommy, if I see a truck coming, I will just dive under the front wheels and it will drive over me and not hurt me at all. Now, does the four-year-old honestly believe that? He does. Yeah, wait a minute. A four, he's four. So he thinks, I'm okay. I, I can take care of myself. I'm fine. Is he okay? No. Can he take care of himself? Okay. So what's the issue in saving his life? Obedience. Okay. Let me give you another one. How early should you start with your children in teaching moral values? Pretty young, right? Okay. All right. So, do you think, and I, I don't mean this to be at all improper, certainly not humorous, and I don't mean this to be off-color, do you think a four-year-old, three-year-old has any concept of reproduction? Okay, but you're going to teach him to be moral? Can you? Sure. I've seen it done many times. Here comes a mom into church, and she has a little three-year-old daughter, and the three-year-old daughter comes in in a skirt. And she sits down, and the mom says to the three-year-old daughter, cover your knees. Okay, now wait a minute. Does anybody here think that a three-year-old little girl with knees showing is going to be a temptation to any normal person? Okay, obviously not. What's mom doing? She's teaching the girl. Now, is she teaching the girl by explaining? No, no. She's teaching the girl by obedience so that later she can explain. See, that's why now, this, is a, this is an unfair question because it's easy to catch people on this. Should sex education be taught in the schools? Now, before you just absolutely blow up, please listen to me. The obvious answer is yes. Okay, but we don't teach sex education in our schools. What we do is we teach explanation. In other words, we say, here's how, here's with whom, Here's how often, here's where, here, here's the way it's accomplished. Instead of saying, 
don't do this. Okay, don't do what? Um, don't, don't uncover your kneecaps. The average, and I'm serious about this, and I want to be careful with this too. The average 17-year-old girl has no concept of the danger of knees. Okay, so she doesn't necessarily need to be taught that. What she needs to be taught is, uh, Mom said, cover your knees. Why? Because Mom said so. Okay, but you say, but Bill, but Bill, but Bill, shouldn't they understand? And my answer is, yes, 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 they should. The question is, how, how, how can they? And the answer is through obedience. See, when they obey, they can learn to understand. Uh, let me give you two quick examples. These both amaze me. Are you having a debate at all in your country about abortion? Is there any, I mean, it comes, okay. So you should, you should, what we do in the states. Uh, and states is pretty much divided 50-50. I think it's a little stronger opposed to abortion than it is for it. But abortion is the most ironic thing to me in the world. In the United States of America, life is considered very precious. That would be true here as well, wouldn't it? So that people argue against taking a life even in defense. Now, it doesn't make a difference where you are on that. The point is, it's, it's arguable. People argue you shouldn't take a life, you shouldn't take a life even in defense. In fact, if a man commits a heinous crime, you shouldn't take more of 10 years of his life because life is precious, okay? But you can take the life of a baby. Okay, wait a minute, but it's not a life yet. Okay, now wait a minute. It's not a life yet? Does it have a heart? Yes. Does it beat? Yes. Did you know, now this boggles my mind. In some states in America, if a, if, if a baby is uh, old enough, unborn but old enough, let's say, I, I don't know the exact date, but four or five months. In other words, if a mom is with child for five months and the mom is murdered, the murderer will be accused of double murder. Okay, that makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, but the same law that accuses the murderer of double murder will allow a man in a white coat with a stethoscope to do the same thing and charge him with nothing. Okay, now you would think in a rational society, you could sit down and say, okay, when does life begin? Well, it doesn't begin at birth. We all know that. Because the child is fed, the child grows, the child's heart beats. I mean, most parents name their child now before they're born, and most parents have pictures of their children now before they're born. Isn't that true? Okay, so you think I could argue to any knowledgeable person, look, let's not take the life of a what you call fetus, because a fetus is a person. Okay, you'd think that argument would be very strong, wouldn't you? Okay, is it very strong? No. no. Why not? Well, because people are stupid. Because people don't understand the importance of life. Sure they understand. That's not the point. The point is they're disobedient. See, they live in rebellion. Now, let me give you a second one. Okay, now, we may not all agree on this, but let me just tell you where I am on it, Okay. There is in our country a phenomenon known as Christian rock music. Okay. Now, it's an impossibility. You, you can't have Christian rock music 
any more than you can have Christian booze. Our Christian bars are Christian harlots. I mean, it's ridiculous. Okay, and any thinking person should be able to see that. Why? Well, because not only do the words of music speak to people, but the music communicates. Everybody should know that. Um, in other words, um, if you're happy, have you ever whistled a happy tune? Or if you're, if you're sad, have you ever thought of a... Is there such a thing as a funeral... Uh, is it dirge? Is that what they're called? Is there such a thing as that? Okay. Is there such a thing as marching music? Okay, obviously, so that music, uh, mu- music obviously uh, speaks. Well, I was at the ranch one day, and I was down in a place called Cowboy Town. It's a place there at the ranch where young people go after services and stuff, and there are several stores there. It's kind of a neat place. I, I, I hope you can see it sometime. But at any rate, I was down at Cowboy Town, and this boy came to me, about 17 years old. Nice kid. He said, Brother Bill, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, this morning in the service, the preacher said that rock music, so-called Christian rock music, is wrong. He said, why? Okay, that's a fair question, isn't it? Okay, here's the question. Brother Bill, preacher this morning in the service said that Christian rock music is wrong. Why? And I said to him, I said, okay, here's why. Because not only do the words of music speak, but the music speaks. It communicates. So if the music is wrong, even if the words are right, by the way, they very seldom are, but if the music is wrong, even if the words are right, the music's bad. I said, for example, I can say something to you and use the same English, but I could say it two different ways where it would mean opposite things. You have a sister, I said. Yes. Suppose your sister's a baby. she a baby? No, but I suppose she was. Okay. And suppose uh, I saw your sister and she's like six months old, and I, I see your sister and I say, now that's a baby. <laughs> I said, what would that mean? He said, well, that would mean, wow. Your sister's just, she's beautiful. Okay. Now, what if I looked at your sister and I said, <laughs> that's a baby? I said, what would that mean? Well, he said, it wouldn't mean the same thing. Okay. Okay. See, I said, not only what I said was important, but the way I said it. Okay. Now I said, now forgive me. I said to this kid, if I said, I love you in a melodic way, it would mean, I love you. But if you say it with a rock beat, it can mean something quite a bit different, can it not? Okay, for example, (laughs) but he's around here. Okay, here we go. For example, if I heard at 105 decibels, you ready for this again? Okay, would that mean... Thank you. Being recorded. You can buy the CDs for $15. Or three euros. Three euros. Okay. Okay. Now, does it mean the same thing? Okay. It doesn't mean the same thing. Now, you can argue as to whether it's good, bad, and different. My point is, it doesn't mean the same thing. Okay. So I said to this boy, I said, the reason rock music is wrong is because the words say one thing, but the music says something else. I said, you got any questions? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, you understand what I'm saying? Yes, he said. I said, okay, do you have any questions? Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not making this up. This actually happened. He said, yes, I do. I said, what's your question? He said, this morning in the service, the preacher said rock music is bad. Why? Well, I thought I just explained it, didn't you? And I'm thinking to myself, Bill, that was such a brilliant explanation. So I took a second, I took a second uh, shot at it, and I used another illustration, and uh, other than his sister being a baby and so on, and I thought I explained it. When I got finished, I said, this makes sense to you? He said, yeah, it does. I said, okay, you got any other questions? And I'm not exaggerating, men. This actually happened. He said, yeah, I do. What's the question? This morning he said, a preacher in the service said, rock music is wrong. Why? So here's what I thought. I knew he was 17. I thought, you know, I'll bet you this guy, I bet she's in fourth grade. Bless his heart. Uh, this is really what I thought, because my answer was so brilliant. <laughs> I thank you. All right, so... I thought, the guy's got to be a blubbering idiot. So I, I said to him, hey, how's school going? He said, great. I said, uh, what grade are you going to be in this fall? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm a senior. I graduate this year. I said, well, great. So we talked a couple minutes about something else, and I left. Okay. He said, well, Brother Rice, you should have been able to explain to him wrong of Christian rock music. You try it. Yeah. Good luck, Mr. Brilliant Person. You try it. Okay, what was his trouble? He's disobedient, okay? By the way, this actually happened as well. Two years later, he came back to camp as a college uh, student. And he actually, he actually did this. He came to me and said, Brother Rice, do you remember me? <laughs> I said, yes, yes, I do. He said, I want to apologize for the way I acted two years ago. He said, I, I didn't see that. and You tried to explain it to me, and I just didn't. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, he saw it now. So what's the difference? What had happened in his life? Oh, he'd gotten smart. Is that what had happened? No. he becomes submissive. You following this? Okay. So what is first is obedience, and what follows then is understanding. Now let's go back to the dad at home that never explains anything. Okay, you should explain things, but it should only be after obedience, because obedience is the key. If the child doesn't obey, the child won't understand. In Colossians chapter 3, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And then it goes on to say, Fathers, don't, don't discourage your children, which is very similar to what the Bible says in Ephesians, where it says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Okay, now let me ask you, now think, what does it mean to provoke, to incite your children to wrath. What makes kids mad? And let me tell you what makes them mad. When you say do X and they say Y and you try to explain. And they go, Shh, doesn't make sense to me, man. I don't see why i got to do that. Yeah, Come on, Dad. Why? why? See, you, you have all this stuff. You're provoking them to wrath. Now, there's a difference between saying, please do X. Yeah, but Dad, I understand. Uh, son, did, did you hear what I said? Yeah, are your ears working okay? Yeah, then do it. Yes, but Bill, shouldn't he understand what he's doing? Are, are you going to get this or not? Sure, he should understand what he's doing. The question is, how does he understand it? And the answer is through... Obedience, okay? 
We have three children. I've told you this numerous times. And the one thing I wanted for my three children was to never see this. Let's see if this is familiar. Dad? Come on, Dad. Like nobody else has to do that, Dad. How come, how come we have to? You know, pastor's kids don't have to. Shh. Come on. Following this? You ever seen this? Come on, Dad. Mr. Thompson says it's okay. How come? I didn't want my kids to go through life with, oh, come on. I don't, I'm, I, here's what I wanted. I wanted to tell my kids to do something for them to say, fine. You say you can't do that. See, that's where you bought into the world's thinking, that you think right and then you do right. But you don't. You do right so you can think right. Okay, and in order to do right so that you can think right, you've got to have a standard of what's right, which you will obey. See, standards differ with different people. But the point is, standards must be adhered to. People need to obey. Um, in, in the English language, at least in its American derivative, we refer to education often as disciplines. Um, so that a fellow goes to school and he majors in science. And you say to this fellow, what discipline are you studying? And he says, well, I'm studying science. I don't know if you do that here or not, but the idea is you have a certain discipline. Okay, why did they use the word discipline? Because the idea is a discipline is something that you submit to in order to learn it. See, why, why would I think that in order for me to know science, I have to understand it first and then learn it secondly? Or, or, or to understand, I've got to understand the English. I've got to understand it, and then I can use it. No, no, you've got to use it so you can understand it. See, um, um, why, why should I always understand dress standards before I adhere to them? No, no. The answer is you adhere to them and then you learn why. See, but the key is always obedience. The same is true with us and our God. The Bible does not say understand God's will for your life so that you can do it. The Bible says do God's will for your life so that you can understand it. Now think through these words. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, submission comes first. I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye, what's the next word? Transform. Okay. How are you transformed? How are you changed? By the renewing of your... What does all of this follow? Yeah, you come, you come to God and you say, God, here's my, here's my, you see this hand? It's yours. You see this body? It's yours. Like the guy on a train years ago. He's on a train. This is during World War II. You used to hear this story from an evangelist named Paul Levine. Guy's on a train and uh, he's a soldier and he's traveling in the States and a couple of other soldiers come to him and say, hey, we need a fourth guy so that we can play poker. We'll play penny ante gambling poker. The guy says, yeah, I'd like to do it, but I can't do it. They said, you don't know how? 
Well, I said, yeah, I, I know how to play poker, but I, I can't play poker. Well, they said, why can't you play poker? He said, well, I, I don't have any hands. I can't play poker because I don't have hands. They said, you don't have hands? What do you call those things on the end of your arms? He said, these? They said, yeah, those. He said, well, those are hands. Yeah, but he said, they're not my hands. They don't have hands. They're not my hands. They're God's hands. So I can't play poker with God's hands. Are you following this? Okay, so a man comes to God and he says, God, this is yours. This is yours. This is yours. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. And as God tells you what to do then, your mind is transformed. Now, let me give you another proverb because this threw me. A friend showed me this this summer. Proverb says, guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it proceed the issues of life. So a guy says, see, you, you, you guard your heart because in your heart are the issues of life and you've got to think right because we know that means the thinking heart. So it should do the right thing. Okay, but if you'll read the rest of the passage, it's the most amazing thing to me. It tells you how to guard your heart. Okay, how do you guard your heart? By saying the right words, by seeing the right things, by going the right places, by doing the right stuff. So a man says, okay, I want to think right. So I'll watch what I see. I'll watch what I say. I'll watch where I go. I will guard my heart because then out of it proceed the issues of life. You following this? Okay, so it is not I think right so that I can do what's right. It's I do right so I can think what's right. And this is a blessing to me because I don't have to be brilliant to be godly. I just have to be obedient. Now, who among us could, if he chose to do so, who among us could be obedient? All of us. Who among us could be brilliant? Eh, probably not all of us, if you're talking about real smarts. And I could care less. I, it doesn't make any difference to me. Somebody says, i just like to know what you know. What do you know? Well, I'd like to know what you do. Because what you do will affect what you know. And it amazes me how many elites intellectually are, forgive me, really ignorant. Even in our circles. How many guys who, I, I think they love the Lord, but they're, they're just elites. They're just so, they're so intelligent that they, they can't get in out of the rain. They just, they don't know how to live their life. For example, here's a guy that teaches uh, a language at a Bible college whose kids are rebels. Brilliant? Not to me, he's not. Here's a guy um, that um, leads a Bible study group who has trouble in his marriage. Brilliant? Not to me, he's not. not? Well, because somewhere along the line, he's not obedient. You men can all know and do what's right simply because you're willing to obey God. Because when you come to God and say, okay, dear Lord, you say it, and with your help and through your provision, I'll do it, then that changes everything. Um, I, I really believe this. I, I, I really believe this. I think there are people in Tennessee, and I use Tennessee because Tennessee is thought of as um, I don't know if you know about the Grand Lobby or whatever, but country and western kind of uh, hick part of the United States, uh, which I love. It's, uh, I love it. 
But the, the thing that's interesting to me is I think there are guys in Tennessee that have churches that run fairly small because they've just started them, so they've got 50 or 60 people. Good wives, good marriages, good kids, good future, good life. They're doing fine. They don't live in New York City. They don't make $60 million a year. They don't have the acclaim of Christians around the globe. They're just doing everything right. And you can be the same way. You can do what's right. You can do what God wants by simply obeying. Think of it this way. I don't have to be smart enough to know everything that happens in the universe. God takes care of that. I just let God tell me and I follow what he says. See, God says, this is right, fine, that's right. This is wrong, fine, that's wrong. This is good, fine, that's good. This is bad, fine, that's bad. And you order your life in light of what the Bible clearly teaches. So that my success as a Christian is dependent upon my obedience, not my knowledge. Now, my knowledge will be increased if I obey. You'll start seeing stuff. You'll start understanding stuff. In other words, a teenager can go through life with, come on. Or I can go through life saying, makes sense to me. You know, have you ever heard the old joke, the older I get, the smarter dad is? You ever heard that old, it's an old saw. Well, that's fine, except it's tragic that a guy has to get old before he realizes that. Why not realize it when you're 14? Our, Our society loves youth so much that our society makes no sense. Here's the idea. We need to listen to our children. We need to listen to our children. They're so pure. They're so innocent. They're so insightful. We need to listen to our children. And then we need to listen to teenagers. We need to listen. Because really, teens today are smarter than they've ever been. They can text with two thumbs. They're brilliant. They... They're just amazing. Teenagers are smarter than they've ever been. We've got, we've got to listen to our teenagers. Okay, you take that 9-year-old child or you take that 17-year-old teenager, let him be 24 and married and have a baby, then he's called dad, and now he's stupid. <laughs> right? Okay, so the idea is, shh, shh, you're kidding me? The guy's a married man. <laughs> he's a dweeb. Come on. What is, what does he know? He's some old married guy. Come on, he's 24. He's over the hill. He knows nothing. Oh, he's 17. Oh, worship at his brain. <laughs> he's nine. Okay, so the deal is we all listen to 17-year-olds and we all listen to nine-year-olds until they become older and more educated and more experienced and then they're stupid and nobody listens to dad or to grandfather or to adults, or to somebody who's past 40 and therefore ancient. Nobody listens to them. So what kind of mess does that put us in? Why in the world would you buy that? Why? But the world does. The world does. The world honestly thinks that brilliance is in the heart and minds of inept young people. So that you've always got to listen to people who've never been there, never done that, never read that, never understood that, never followed that, you've got to listen to them. But anybody who has any track record is an absolute dolt. See, it doesn't make any sense. But it's the way we had. And the reason we buy into that is the same reason for which we buy into 
I don't know from whence we came, but it may be that we came out of something we would call the big bang. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, ask uh, Dr. Hudamathotit and Dr. Whatchamacallim. Uh, these men, Dr. Hudamathotit has studied both in the north and the south in, um, in Ireland, which means he's really weird. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so the deal is, but these men are brilliant, and we must listen to these men who know absolutely nothing about anything. <laughs> you don't have to be brilliant to be godly. You have to be obedient. I don't know that I could ever be brilliant to be godly, but I can obey. I got a Bible, I can read, I can see what God says, and if I don't know what God says about a certain thing, that's why I belong to a church. I've got people that'll help me see it and a pastor that'll teach me about it. And that's what makes all for prayer. Father, thank you for loving us. Help us in our last time together to tie all this together, I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.